0: Thank you so much to all of our musicians this morning and leading us in worship. Take your Bibles, if you would, church, and let's turn to the book of Jeremiah. We're going to the Old Testament for the next few weeks, and uh, we're going to trust that the Lord will give us some wonderful teaching on how to live life in a very unique and quickly changing world. We have a new year. We have a new president. And... It seems like when we wake up every day, we wake up to something new. And it's not always that exciting. It can be rather challenging. It can sometimes be kind of scary when we look at the way the world is changing. But God has put us in this world for such a time as this. You were born exactly when God wanted you to be born. You are living exactly when God wants you to live in this turbulent, quickly changing culture and world. And the Bible tells us there are some things that we are to do and that we can do that only the church can do in this changing world. And we're going to study some of this, but here's what we see all throughout the Bible. Nobody ever made a difference in their culture, their world, unless they rose up. Unless they, they got up and moved out. And so our theme in January is a rise. The church needs to rise up. The church does not need to hide. The church needs to rise up. You do not need to fear as a believer. You need to rise up. Our small groups and our church here at Westside, we don't need to just, just be within these walls. We need to rise up. God has designed us to be in this place at this time, but to make a difference, we've got to rise up. And we're going to look at some examples of that over the next couple of weeks before I go into my next book study in February as we study a book of the Bible. I want us just to think about ways that we need to rise up to do what God has designed us and called us to do. To connect our community to who? To Christ. That's what we're designed to do. I'm telling you what, I I had tears in my eyes, didn't you, this morning? Were you not moved seeing those baptismal testimonies? That's what we're designed to do is connect people, the peoples of the world, to the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Lives are being changed when we do that. But here's what we got to do. We have to ask ourselves constantly, are we making the connection? Just coming to church this morning and studying the Bible is not, that's, that's part of it, but that's not the ultimate connection. We connect to God upwardly, but He, he sends us out to connect outwardly, and so are we making the connection? And so this year, I want us to think about making this connection. And, and in this series, we're going to talk about building bridges. In fact, I got my inspiration for this series from our new president. <laughs> it's kind of the opposite thing. You know, I got to thinking about building walls. You know, and there are places and there are times to build walls. But the church is called to build bridges. We're called to break down walls, break down barriers and build bridges. Bridges bridges connect people. And we are designed and sent to build bridges. In fact, you are designed to be a bridge. Across which someone can be introduced to the gospel, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. So we want to talk about removing barriers and building bridges. Removing the walls. Removing the walls and building bridges pathways for the gospel so in Jeremiah 29 I want us to read together this story the people of Israel woke up one day uh, and because of their sin because of their disobedience they woke up in a different world they woke up in a world they did not like a world that had changed a great deal they woke up in Babylon and when we look at Babylon here's what we realize you and I live in Babylon today we do But there's some good news associated with that truth. And let's look at the instructions of the Lord to His people whose lives had been changed and whose world had sort of spun out from under them. The people of Israel had been deported from Jerusalem. And and the, the leadership and the educated and the priests and all of the folks that sort of had those upper level roles and, and they took all of the leadership and they put them in Babylon. But you and I are a little bit different. Our world just sort of spun out from under us. <laughs> all of a sudden we woke up and it, it's like being at Disney World. There's a lot of those rides at Disney World. It's a small world. Don't, does that drive you crazy by the time you get to the end of it? You just kind of, you just stay seated and the world just changes around you as you go through it. Or the carousel of progress. You ever been on the carousel of progress? You sit completely still and you just, the the world transforms in front of you as you move through time. That carousel of progress promises that there is a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Walt Disney saw that great, big, beautiful tomorrow in the hands of human beings and the best efforts we can make but we're going to see that our best and beautiful tomorrow is in the hands of God. And so he is going to assure the people in Jeremiah 29 that there is a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. But what we do today matters. Let's read together in uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile. And to the priests, prophets, and all the people Whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon About 587 B.C. In that 6th century B.C., Nebuchadnezzar went and destroyed Jerusalem And deported a bunch of folks But he left some people And he took them in stages And so Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem But he was writing a letter to the people that had already been deported to Babylon He says, this is how you're to live This is how you're to live there And by the way, Jeremiah was counteracting some false prophets who were telling them, giving them incorrect information as if they were speaking from God. And you and I have some false prophets in our Babylon. we got to be careful who we listen to. And so Jeremiah writes the truth of God's word and he says, I want you to know this is why you're there and this is how you're to live as people in Babylon. Verse 2, this was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the official of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. All the upper level folks. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And here's what it said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the what? The exiles. Whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Well, I don't want to stay here, Jeremiah. No, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city. Where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. Here's what they were prophesying. They're basically saying, don't make roots. Don't put any, God's going to bring you back. He's going to take you back to the good old days. He's going to take you back to Jerusalem maybe one or two years. So you just stay here right on the, 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 the bank of the river Kabar. was where they were camping out. He says, they, they were telling him, don't worry. God's going God's to make it like you want it. Jeremiah says, no, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations, not just Babylon, and all the places where I have driven you. I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. But for now, for the next 70 years, you're going to be in Babylon. And here's how I want you to live. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that In this message, and in this message is to come, you would help us determine to be bridge builders in a divided world, in a difficult place. God, help us to move beyond walls, to tear down barriers, and connect people to the gospel. Use us as that bridge, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, certainly things have changed, and we wake up, you know. Uh, there was a book that came out about 20, year, 20 years ago, and if you were in business, you may have read it, Who Moved My Cheese? Has anybody read that book? You just wake up, and you realize somebody moved my cheese. And I liked it, right, and there's a lot of sequels to that in different areas. I, there, there's a book called Who Moved My Church? Some of you are wondering, what happened to my church? It moved nothing's like it used to be I saw a title the other day I I hadn't bought the book yet but it said who moved my pulpit (laughs) it is so true I mean we have to we speak differently and there's different ways to approach things I tell you things have changed and we don't like being moved and then we look at our culture we look at our nation and we wonder who moved our nation where did it go and we look at the tremendous divisions among people. There's great anger out there. There are people, it, it's just, it's just uh, so skin deep. Uh, and, and, and all you have to do is just cross someone a little bit. And this situation that we find ourselves in is not unusual. It really is beginning to look a lot like Babylon of old. It is also beginning to look a lot like the first century A.D. when the church of Jesus Christ was born. But here's the good news. The church of Jesus thrived during that time like it it hasn't in, in other times. The church of Jesus Christ can thrive in Babylon. You may not like being there. You may not want your cheese moved. But God has plans in this Babylon. God wants to do some amazing things... But we have to be willing to look, to believe a few things, and then we have to be willing to do a few things. And that's what he tells them in this passage. And so there are three things that he says, I want you to believe. And he says, there are three things I want to make sure you do if we're going to build bridges and make a difference in our Babylon. Now, you do have an alternative. Some of the folks that had been sent to the Babylon, in fact, most of them in those early years... Just sat on the bank of the river and complained. We have a record of that in Psalm 137. This is a record of the complaining people. They'd just been sent to Babylon, and look what it says By the waters of Babylon, there we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Oh, I just loved it the way it was in Zion. (laughs) Why can't we go back to that? And they sat and they wept. It says, on the willows there, they hung up their lyres, their guitars. They they hung up their musical instruments. And they just just had a hard time. Listen to what what they said. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Then they just said, How in the world can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? What a great question. How do we rejoice? How do we sing the Lord's song when everything is changing and not all of the change is for good? Well, we can sit by the river and complain. Or we can step out on faith and watch God move. Which one do you want to do? Which one do you want to do? I'm reading a book by David McCullough called The Great Bridge. I enjoy his biography books, and that's just sort of my entertainment. Uh, and it is all about the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. I'd had that book for a while, and then when I realized where I was going to be preaching on this subject, I said, I'll start this book. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. The Brooklyn Bridge was built in the 1870s. There was nothing like it. It was the biggest structure when they finally finished it in, in the city of New York. They could see it from from long, long distances. Today, it doesn't seem that as big a deal to us. We're building much bigger things, but in its day there was nothing like it. It was one of the greatest engineering technological feats the United States has ever had. There was a builder by the name of John Roebling who, who, it was his design and his son Washington Roebling completed that, but it was a masterful project. It still stands today. 150,000 cars a day and pedestrians a day still go across this bridge that's 150 years old. But you know where this bridge started? There's a little plaque at a place on the Brooklyn side of the river where uh, uh, they they had a meeting, a fateful meeting one night and it was on it was in a it was December 21st, 1866, almost exactly 150 years ago, and the Brooklyn Bridge was born out of desperation. One of the one of the men who wanted the bridge there Picked this night because the East River was absolutely frozen. It was frozen over. And no one could get from Brooklyn to New York City. And, they, and the only way to get from Brooklyn to New York City were the series of ferries. And these ferries were, they were notorious for getting stuck in the ice, for sinking, for having all sorts of problems. You were crammed in there with all of these people. For years and years and years, they had done it the ferry way. And, and listen, the ferries were getting old. They weren't accomplishing the task. And the cities could not join together, could not connect and grow together with that system. And so it was on this frozen December night that the man named William Kingsley went to one of the leaders there in Brooklyn and sold him on the idea. You know what we need? We need a bridge. We need a bridge. And I believe it is when the church gets fed up and desperate with the frozen situation. With the lack of connection to the community. The lack of connection with our neighbors. Now, you and I have all sorts of connections. We've got thousands of connections through Facebook and Twitter and television and phone. We can connect to anybody, but those connections are are shallow. We need strong connections, deep connections. And it's when we become desperate, when we realize that those connections are not really bringing people to Christ, that we decide we must build and we must be a bridge. Listen to what Paul the Apostle said. In verse 19, here's a man here's a man who was desperate to be a bridge first corinthians nine 19 he said, "For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might what win more of them. more of who? Well, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those." Under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Across that chasm between the Gentiles and the Jews, there was this giant frozen river. No one passed. He said, I'm going to be a bridge that I might win some Gentiles to Christ. To the weak, I became what? Weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the what, church? For the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. One of the reasons you see internationals being baptized here so often is over for the last 20 years, you, you and people within this church have been building a bridge between here and China. Between here and China. And people come across, and they know, as these folks said, there will be people here that will love them and encourage them. It's a bridge of relationships. Well, what must we believe? How do we do this? How do we uh, how do we how do we uh, become discontent with just being a ferry that brings people slowly? How can, we, how can we become a bridge where more and more people come to know Christ? Well, there are three things he says I want you to believe. Let's look at Jeremiah 29 together. And he says in verse 4 Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I tell you what's interesting here is if you had been sitting in Babylon, received this letter from Jeremiah, this would have hit you like a brick. Because they felt it was Nebuchadnezzar, it was the Babylonians, it was all of those evil folks. It was the society that had brought them and turned them into Babylon and deported them and had ruined everything. And God says, no, ultimately, who's in charge of society? Who's in control of the days and the years and the places of your life? He says, no, I have sent you there. One of the things that we must realize, and I think this will free us up to build bridges with the community, build bridges with our neighbors, is when we realize we are exactly where God wants us. You are exactly where God wants you. And you know we move from time to time, and there are places when, and the Lord will move us from time to time. But for such a time as this, I am where God wants me to build and be a bridge. We've got to trust God's plan. He's in control. But look at verse 11. He wants us to know this. And he, tells, he says, uh, Jeremiah says, you just plant. You bless this city. God has you right where he wants you. But don't worry. Look at verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. One other thing that's going to just just compel us. And drive us and sustain us in the days to come is we know God has a future for us, and we always have hope in the person and the plan of Jesus Christ. I hope this verse is one of your favorites. It's one of my favorites. He has a future, He has a hope. He is that for you. But look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. He gets to the end of this message and he says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And then I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. There's a tension here. There's a tension that he wants the people in Babylon to have. He says, I want you to settle there And I want you to invest in your community. And I want you to build, even though it's not exactly what you want. I have you there for a purpose, but I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to ever, ever think that this world is your home. That this world is really your home. I am going to bring you to your home one day. Now here's how it connects to the New Testament. Here's how it connects to you. Everywhere in the New Testament, every Christian is called an exile, an alien, a pilgrim. Until we stand with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth, we are not really at home. We are to settle here. We are to invest here and build here. But, but we keep that healthy tension, realizing you know, one day, one day we're really going to be at home. These are three incredible beliefs, critical beliefs, to giving us the endurance and the drive and the determination to keep reaching out to our community, reaching out to our neighbors, and, and discipling our families and discipling people. This is what di- that keeps us giving. It's what keeps us going. All those things we talk about is we know we are where God wants us, that he has a future and a hope for us, but, but we, this is not our home. And so we're freed up to invest, freed up to build, freed up to sacrifice what he wants us to sacrifice. And so Jeremiah sets the theological landscape for them and the parameters there. And he says, here's what you're to believe. Now, here's what you are to do. You are to be faithful in Babylon. You are to be faithful to God's word. You're living in a strange land, and this land we and I live in may get even stranger, but we are to just stay faithful to God's Word. Listen to what he says in verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord you got to be discerning in these days. You can get some false information about the reality of things. And you know, the, really, the only place that I can go and know for certain the ground of reality is when I, when I am, am uh, learning and listening to the Word of God. And there I find a certainty and a hope and an anchor as the carousel of progress just takes us, takes us through Babylon... And, and we have to be faithful and as we settle. Now, as we settle in this land, as we live our lives, somehow we don't assimilate. And that healthy balance is not easy. Not easy to keep. We are to be in the world, but not of it. What are some of the ways that we do that? Well, look at the second thing he says that we need to do. We need to be beneficial To our city. Beneficial to our city. Look at verse 4. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, To all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat the produce. In other words, you settle in and look at verse 7. He says, Seek the welfare of Gainesville. Seek the welfare of Alachua County. Seek the welfare of Florida. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in it, its welfare, you, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, this is something that sounds pretty familiar to us, but this would have been very, uh, very uh, strong for the Israelites. To take and and they they were used to praying against the Gentiles, praying against their enemies. And he says, Listen, while you are there, you pray for the peace of Babylon. You pray for the welfare of your neighbors, even the ones that you don't like, even the ones that you struggle with. Jesus said, Love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Listen to Matthew 5. And here's what's happening if if we're not careful. He says, "'You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lantern and put a wall over it or put it under a basket or put it on a stand.'" Uh, But but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You and I are called to be beneficial to our city. How can we do that? How can we do that? And that is a question that I just can't answer from the pulpit. I can give you ideas. But I know we need to be involved in our city. We need to be involved in our neighborhoods. As a church, we're doing some things. We have a mentoring program. There's all sorts of opportunities. If you want to go and mentor children in the elementary schools and in the middle schools and high schools, they are just begging for people who will come and build a bridge. They're inviting us. And so we have many that are going and mentoring over at Fort Clark and other places. What are some things that you can do as a as a life group to be a benefit to your neighborhood, to your community, to your city? Would the city even know it if Westside disappeared? I hope when the rapture comes, they'll wonder, they'll they'll notice in Gainesville that some of us are gone. We have got to be beneficial to our city. Eric Erickson writes in his book, most recent book, he says, Our duties as a citizen of heaven and of America coincide in a very real and concrete way as we serve our neighbors. Each of us should seek out opportunities to plug into the civic community in which we live. Whether you run for school board, serve on the local parks and recreation committee, or become a person who helps keep your neighborhood informed... You've got to be engaged in your local community to show love to your neighbor. If each of us takes care of our local community, that care and concern will percolate up to the state and national levels. Only do what only you can do. Don't list all the ways you can't help. Start with what you can do right where you live to help the people around you. Find a problem And you solve it. There was a day where we could build a beautiful sanctuary and a beautiful campus and open the doors. And there were people out there looking for a church. And they would come. Those days are changing. In fact, our culture is getting to where people aren't just deciding not to go to church. People, they're not even thinking about church. It never even crosses their mind. The church of the future that grows is going to be the church filled with people who go to their community, build bridges, make connections, and bring people to Jesus. That's a novel thought, isn't it? But we have become very, very accustomed to the system that we have. And we can ride this system of if we build it, they might come. We can ride that system for a while and we might get away with it, but it's not going to last. The church that's going to succeed, this church, is going to be full of people who decide they're going to build a bridge to their community, to their neighbor, to their co-workers. You're going to have to be the church for them. And that bridge, as you build that bridge, slowly but surely, you may be able to bring them into the fellowship of your life group. I really believe that life groups are one of those places that you can bring people sometimes. They might not come into this environment, but they might come to a, a dinner that you have at your house. They might come to a meeting you have at Starbucks. I'm gonna be talking more about the fact that it's it's that third place that wins. It's not necessarily uh, work or church. It's that third place. It's amazing what you can accomplish at that third place of Starbucks. Or inviting someone out to lunch after church. We're going to have to do those kind of things or or we're going to be like that ferry system in New York. We'll have a few that cross the river. But as I finish my life up, and it's, it's going fast. I want to build a bridge. I want to be a bridge. I want Westside to be a bridge. Well, we've got to believe those things and we've got to do those things that he calls us to do. Oz Guinness says freedom which we have is not a permission to do what we want to do. Freedom is the power to do what we should. And we are free right now to build bridges in this community, and we can do it. We can do it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote from the prison cell Christians are called to compassion and to action. There is no one better suited to serve the community in which you live than the person who lives in that community, and that's you. That's you. Well, the third thing he calls us to do, and he says this to to the folks in Babylon, he says in verse 6, Take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease. And the way we're not going to decrease in a spiritual sense in the kingdom of God is we've got to multiply We need to make disciples. We need to be fruitful, not just faithful to God's word, but we must be fruitful in making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's how we're going to do it. Let me just encourage you with this, this picture as you lead today of how to build a bridge. How do I begin to do it? Well, John Roebling, before he built the bridge, the Brooklyn Bridge, and he died right before it got started and his son carried it on. He had built a number of other bridges, and one that he built was over Niagara, the gorge just uh, beneath Niagara Falls. And I was intrigued. This was a question I didn't know. I'm not an engineer. I'm a preacher. How in the world do you start a bridge? Well, here's how he started the bridge. Rather interesting to me. He had a contest. Uh, among kids he said alright kids I'm going to have a contest to see who can fly a kite from the United States side to the Canada side and so they invited people to come out and fly a kite and so it was the idea was to fly a kite get it high enough and to have it land on the other side and when it landed guess what they had across the gorge a string but with that string you can build a bridge. They tied that string to something a little bit thicker. They tied that little thread or rope that was a little bit thicker, brought something else across. After a couple of years, a suspension bridge. Now I'm not really, I don't use this terminology, but I want you to go fly a kite. I want you to go fly some kites. It may be an invitation to coffee. It may be an invitation to your life group. But it starts with a string. And then it may turn into something. If they will allow it in a relationship, the way to begin a relationship is with a a kind word. But you're going to have to fly the kite. They're not flying it to us. You're going to have to somehow make the connection. Aren't you glad Jesus did that? Aren't you glad He bridged the gap? Aren't you glad that God the frozen barrier between us and him that we caused because of our sin he decided to break down that barrier and build a bridge through Jesus and he calls us to just be bridge builders and we need to we need to extend extend the church beyond these walls where you live. you got to fly some kites. Would you pray with me? Would you take just a moment. Maybe just in the quietness. Before we sing. Think about some of those folks. And those opportunities that you might. Want to reach out to maybe that kite string for some of you is just a text to that person that you know needs Christ or needs a word of encouragement or needs who's far from God and needs to be brought back into relationship with God. You are the church for that person. You are that bridge. You're that connector to your world. I can't be that connector for you. This church cannot be that connector. You are. Maybe that kite string is, a, is a, an email or a text or a phone call, an invitation. What can you do? We're hoping you'll invite them to your life group, to your home, to lunch. That relationship with you could then become a relationship with another person. And as that kite string widens and strengthens pretty soon, you have a connection that lasts. Would you pray about how God would have you do that this week and in the weeks to come? Would you pray, God help us as West Side to be a bridge? To tear down the walls, and the barriers, and be a bridge. Father, I just thank you for your. Your word, it gives us clear pictures all throughout. Even in the Old Testament, we see that you loved the people of Babylon and you loved your people that you sent there. God, you've sent us here to Gainesville, Alachua, for such a time as this in Florida, in this world. You've given us uh, great ability and strengths and gifts. Help help us to use them. May we not grow uh, apathetic, may we not just weep beside the river wishing it were different but may we invest and build relationships for the future Father I thank you for that truth in Jesus name